Welcome back to Fundamentally Mormon, part of the Zion's Redemption Radio Network. Today we're going to cover Chapter 17 of Reincarnation, pages 144 to 147. The chapter is called Final Judgment. For they shall be judged according to their works, and every man shall receive according to his works, his own dominion, in the mansions which are prepared. Doctrine and Covenants, section 76, verse 111. The Gospel teaches us of a final judgment when everyone will be awarded the glory and honor they deserve and assigned to the stations they have merited. God's instructions in our day are to prepare the saints for the hour of judgment which is to come. Doctrine and Covenants, section 88, verse 84. However, most of those supporting the multiple birth philosophy do not embrace the idea of judgment day, the time of God's final judgment of all people, because they feel that everyone will eventually end up in the highest glory with God. If this were the case, however, why do the scriptures distinctly describe three main kingdoms of glory in which God will finally place most of the people on the earth. Why did Christ say that in his Father's house were many mansions? Why did Paul talk about the celestial, terrestrial, and telestial bodies and glories? Are we told that beings may advance in knowledge and power within each of these kingdoms? See Seven Deadly Heresies by Ogden Kraut, which was published in uh, 1980. We're on page 45 at 18%. So this one's going to be a bit of a shorter program, but continuing. But they never can reach the status of those in the higher kingdoms, for God has revealed, quote, And they, those in the celestial kingdom, shall be servants of the Most High God, but where God and Christ dwell, they cannot come worlds without end. Doctrine and Covenants, section 76, verse 112. That sounds like a very final arrangement. Joseph Fielding Smith straightened out a misconception that must have been circulating among the saints in the 1950s regarding those inheriting these glories. Quote, The celestial and terrestrial and telestial glories I have heard compared to the will on a train. The second and third and will may and will reach the place where the, the first was. But the first will have moved on and will still be just the same distance in advance of them. This illustration is not true. The wheels do not run on the same track and do not go in the same direction. The terrestrial and telestial are limited in their powers of advancement, worlds without end. And that comes from his book, Doctrines of Salvation, volume 2, page 32. I I disagree I agree in the fact that 
in the celestial kingdom, they cannot advance while they are in that kingdom. But according to the lecture at the Grove, the King Follett Discourse, and Personal Revelation revealed to me personally, that they are damned in the state of resurrection where they are unless they are exalted and they cannot progress. But they can, when the new earth is created, put off the resurrection and advance in a new mortal probation on a new earth. So this idea that we come back multiple times on the same earth is a fallacy. However, God told me that there was more to it. And I believe those who have qualified to have their calling and election made sure who have been prophets in the past, if God needs to call them back, well, they're not celestial, terrestrial, or even the lower levels of the celestial glory. They are those who have um, qualified to receive their exaltation. Now, they may not receive it until later, but they qualified for that. So, for myself... I qualified to have my calling and election made sure and to be sealed up unto eternal life before I came to this planet. In my patriarchal blessing, it says that I have been given the greatest gift that God has to bestow, the gift of eternal life. I asked God how it could be that somebody like me, who had been through a childhood and teenage years of of very extreme abuse, physical, mental, sexual, and neglect, who turned to drugs because I wanted to kill myself, but I was too afraid to die, and had been homeless and had been a very rough individual in my younger years and even still am kind of a rough individual today, how it is that I could even qualify to have my calling and election made sure. Because I didn't understand why why I was given that blessing and the patriarchal blessing. Or even when in 2003, when I was taken up in the flesh and I saw the Father and the Son face to face and embraced them in the flesh and the Father laid his hands upon my head and sealed me up into himself and up into eternal life and gave me keys and authority and the fullness of the priesthood, how it was possible that somebody with my past in my probation on this earth could qualify. And he said, it's not because of who you are here. It's because of who you were before you came here. And like all of the things, when I sat down and I spoke to Jesus face to face, We talked about many things. He answered uh, some of my questions. And one of the things that it bothers me even still to this day, but I kind of understand it, he told me that all those things that are hard for me to deal with, which I even have a hard time now thinking about because of the things that happened to me, he told me he allowed me to go through that that I might be 
that I might be made into the servant that he needs me to be. And I think and I believe that he's still molding me like clay in his hands. Like with this job that I'm in now, it is very, very, very difficult. I come home after four days working between 56 to 70 hours a week because I do shop stuff as well as driving and chaining up and all of the stuff that I do it's very difficult and having to chain up all of my drives and um, some of my my uh, my trailer tires and even throwing uh, certain things on the steer tires just to get up these mountains it breaks my body down and I don't like it but this is where I am supposed to be for this time. And even though I don't like what has happened to me in the past, it has made me into the person I am today. And if I had had a very easy life, I would never have turned to God the way that I did. It was that when I was completely broken down to the very depth that God revealed himself to me and brought me back up from that depth and healed me of my my um, my sins. He healed me of my drug addictions in an instant. He brought me back out of that. But he uh, but Jesus told me he allowed me to go into that that I might be made the servant that he needs me to, to be. And I think all of us are clay in the potter's hands, that the experiences that we have in our lives help to prepare us to gain a higher resurrection. And in fact, in 2010, when he revealed this secret to me, that we can advance if we put off the resurrection on a new earth, that that every life, And every experience is valuable to progress unless we make the decision to dig to digress but everything we can come to it with a temporal mindset or we can come to it with a spiritual mindset and like I've had times many times in my life where people recognize me but they don't know why, except for one individual who I've talked about in the past that knew exactly who I am. But there's been many more weak-minded people that Satan has influence over whose demons recognize me and they attack me. And I've lost multiple jobs because of these type of, uh, these type of harassments and attacks. And it makes me angry because like, I'm doing all this stuff that God wants me to do And he allows me to go through this. So like Job was the most righteous man on the earth in his day. And God allowed him to go through some horrible, horrible things. And I believe it was for his own progression. Job may have been a righteous man, but we do not know and I do not believe that he was necessarily a prophet of course there's different levels of being a prophet but he had not seen god face to face or even um in the pillar 
but he did afterwards. He saw him in the whirlwind. God brought him down to the depth of humility and raised him up, and he became a witness of the Father. Not in that he embraced him, but he saw him. Same as Moses saw him. He did not embrace him. But I believe that... um, Well, I don't believe because God revealed it to me and I know that at the end of this, this mortal probation after the resurrection... When this earth becomes a fire of sea and glass and a, celesti- a celestial orb or sphere, that that a new earth will be uh, created wherein we can put off the resurrection and go on to a new earth to advance. And we cannot do that with the resurrection that we have attained unto, but... That if we put off the resurrection, we can. And this is the true doctrine of multiple mortal probations. But like I said, he said there was more to it. And I wonder, and I I kind of believe, but I'm not exactly sure because I have not had it revealed to me yet. That individuals like Joseph Smith or like Jeremiah or like Elijah or these prophets who have qualified themselves to receive a higher or the highest degree of glory, they still have to go through probations. They still have to become, uh, they have to be chosen to be one of the mighty and strong ones for this earth. And I was shown that there are 15 for each earth, that they advance up the levels until they become a God or God the witness or a bearer of light and truth. And that when they are done with that probation, they become a redeemer. Even though they qualified for exaltation before, they still have to go through certain experiences so that they can ascend unto the level of the father of an earth or an atom. And that after they are done with that probation where they became an atom for an earth, the father of all, both spiritually and physically, because of previous probations, especially that of uh, being a redeemer, that they are able to take upon themselves the experiences needed to become a an exalted one, like Jehovah. In Moses chapter 1 verse 6, Jehovah is speaking to Moses and he says, you are in the very similitude of mine only begotten son. Now, in the modern Mormon church after the 1880s, people believe that Jesus Christ was is Jehovah and that he doesn't have an only begotten son. But Jehovah and Jesus Christ are two separate individuals. In Ether chapter 3, Jesus says, I have not appeared to anyone before you, Mohanre Moriankamer, who is the brother of Jared. Yet Jehovah had appeared to many people before that time. They're two separate individuals. And there's more that I could go to on that, but I've already done a program called Jehovah. 
Mysteries of Creation, if you want to like see if you can find that podcast that I've already talked about these things. But Jesus and Jehovah are two different individuals. Jehovah told Moses that he was in the similitude of his only begotten son. Well, who is his only begotten son? It's not Jesus. It was Michael. Because Michael was a redeemer and an only begotten son on an older earth. And when he paid for our sins on that older earth, he bought us with the price of his blood the same way that Jesus did on this earth for us. Jesus is called the Father and the Son. He is our father through the law of adoption because he paid for us with his own blood. But Michael did on an older earth as well. In fact, the last earth. Michael was our redeemer and Jehovah was our Adam or father. Because there are many Adams. There's an Adam for each earth and there's a first presidency for each earth. And as Jesus Christ paid for our sins on this earth, we become adopted to him. And in that new world that John saw, that has not yet been created, but will be created, which is spoken of in the book of Revelations, Michael will take who, Michael will become an Elohim or an exalted one under the direction of the Elohim and they are under the direction of God, the eternal father. And Michael will be instructed to take Jesus to a place for the earth to be created. Much the same way Jehovah brought Michael to this earth for Michael to create this earth. And Jesus will become God, the creator who Joseph Smith said was another title for God the Father. Jesus will become an Adam for that earth. And his Redeemer, the man who is the witness of the Father or the Holy Ghost in this probation, he will organize the spirits in heaven and in that way create, also be a creator, but it is Jesus that will create that earth that John saw. Much the same way Jehovah instructed Michael to create an earth and Michael did the work. Jehovah showed him how Michael did the work. That that Michael is God the creator or the father. That we are his spiritually through the law of adoption. And because he becomes the father of us as an Adam, he becomes the father of us both uh, physically as well. So he is our father physically and spiritually through the law of adoption. Whereas Jesus Christ is not uh, our father physically yet because he has not yet become an Adam, but he is our father spiritually. That's why in the Book of Mormon, Jesus proclaims himself as the father and the son. It's not about Trinitarianism. Joseph Smith was never a Trinitarian. Joseph Smith may not have completely understood what he was reading. Like, there's been translations of scripture that God has given me. 
And there's been revelations where God has said, sit down and write this. Or he's told my wife, well, he's told me to tell my wife, I have a word from God. I need you to sit down and write this. And I'll write it and I'll learn from it. And I will learn more as I study these things out. And even though I've read it 10, 15, 20 times, there will be times when I will have realized something that was said in the revelation that makes me understand something deeper. And I believe the same thing happened with Joseph Smith. But he knew that there was a father and a son, that they were separate. So when he came to these Trinitarian ideas that seemed to be uh, perpetuated in the Book of Mormon, I think he knew that that wasn't how to interpret it that there was a different explanation which to the Trinitarian seems very clear because they have been uh, in strong delusion about certain things. But Jesus and the Father had appeared to Joseph Smith separately at the same time, but they were two specific individuals who were one in purpose, not one in spirit and body. So, when Jesus pays for our sins on this earth, he becomes our father. When he becomes an Adam on a new earth, he will be our father spiritually and physically. And when he finishes that probation on that earth, he will be translated and taken up and await the redemption of his only begotten son, much the way Michael did, much the way Jehovah did before that. And then when that redemption happens, he will go and he will say, touch me not, for I have not yet ascended to my father, speaking of Adam. But go unto my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my father, speaking of Adam, and your father, speaking of Adam, and unto my God, or my Elohim, my mighty one, that's speaking of Jehovah, and your mighty one, that's speaking of Jehovah. See, everywhere in Scripture, in the Old Testament, before the uh, King James Bible, in the King James, they say, the Lord your God. Everywhere it says that, in the original tongue, Jehovah is called Elohim. See, that's another thing in the modern Mormon church. Everybody thinks, oh, Elohim is the father of the father or the father of Jesus or because Jesus is Jehovah, which which is not true. It was not taught until the 1880s. But they don't understand that Jehovah is an Elohim. It means a mighty one or an exalted one. Jehovah is an Elohim. He ascended unto the level of becoming an Elohim. When this earth is uh, is finished and all of the keys are passed to Jesus and when the new earth is created, Michael will become an Elohim and Jesus will take the place of being God the creator or the father and he will become an Adam 
to the new earth, taking upon himself the name of God, the eternal Father, who is Adam. Amen. Continuing on with this reading, we're at 34%. The three degrees of glory are stations of a final judgment. Those inheriting the lower kingdoms are forever prevented from receiving certain blessings, worlds without end. Let me just say what I've said before. They are damned in the state of resurrection unless they put off the body and go into the spirit world again and go into a new probation on a new earth or a new mortality. And they are given the opportunities that they need to ascend. It's so that they can gain the experiences that they need to achieve a higher level of resurrection. They may spend several hundreds of lives ascending little bit by little bit in the telestial or telestial. But each life is valuable, and in the scope of eternity, it it might, from our perspective, take a very long time. But in the scope of eternity, when you are able to look backwards and forwards, each life is but a drop of water in an ocean of eternity. These lives that last 20, 30, 40, even up to 100, maybe even longer, in with the, with the view of eternity in the past, these lives are the blink of an eye. And coming into a new probation, though it may seem long, there's so much good in these probations that help us to advance to become more like the Father is. And all but the sons of perdition enjoy the advancement to become more like God is. Each of us are put in our situations in life because God in his wisdom realized that we had to learn from those situations in life. The man in Africa who is taking care of kids in in an orphanage he was placed in that position to gain the experiences that only that life can give him to become more like God is. The man in communist China or the woman in communist China that has to go through that situation in that life, every single life is valuable for the experiences that we gain in that life. And we can choose to ascend in the sphere of the mortality that we are given. Continuing on, the permanency of this condition is emphasized in the following five quotations. Quote, we must learn the ways of God. We must walk in his paths. We must be saints in very deed and walk in the footsteps of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then by and by where he is, we will will be also. If we turn our backs upon the truth, 
we will go down to death. See, that's the denial of the Holy Spirit. See, when we're given the confirmation of the Holy Spirit that Joseph Smith is a prophet, and we turn away from the truth because of the bad actions or the bad report of someone else, we've already had a witness of the Holy Spirit that Joseph is a prophet. Despite his weaknesses, if he has them, and he does, we all do. But there are lies from the adversary about this man's life which have been perpetuated through since his life, since he's been on the earth. There have been lies about me that are not true that are perpetuated because Satan looks at us, Joseph Smith and myself and others, as a threat to his kingdom. A great threat to his kingdom. And when we believe the lies perpetuated by the adversary through the weak-minded actions and words of, of other men, we're placing our trust in the flesh when we've already received a witness of the truth of God in the spirit. We reject the truth of God even though we've received the confirmation because we place our trust in the lies of the adversary. Now, I was an anti-Mormon Baptist or a Southern Southern Baptist when I when I met the missionaries. Because I asked God to show me the truth and to heal me, he sent those missionaries to me and I received a very strong witness that I cannot deny that Joseph Smith is a true prophet. I was healed 100% of all of my drug addictions. And from 1996 until today, I have never used illegal, illicit drugs ever again. I was healed. I was healed of not only marijuana, but crack cocaine and cocaine. And alcoholism. And I can look at the anti-Mormon stuff and even some of the, the filth that comes out of the people who tried to change history who are leaders of the LDS church. And I could reject the witness that God gave me or I could choose to say something isn't right here. Something isn't adding up. And yes, Joseph Smith may not have been a perfect man. But he was a prophet of God. And he may have done things which are wrong. But you know what? For the most part, I don't believe the reports. However, David was a prophet of God and he murdered Uriah. But he was still given revelation. And you can read it in the Proverbs and the Psalms. He was still a prophet even after he fell. And I'm not exactly sure how all that works, but it happened. 
No, I don't believe Joseph Smith murdered anyone. I also don't believe he took other men's wives. There's something called polyandry that um, is a part of the gospel. There's something called the law of adoption, which is part of the gospel. But the way people in their carnal minds think about these things, they, they ascribe to Joseph Smith very wicked actions, which I do not believe he did. Continuing on. And then by and by, where he is, we will be also. If we turn our backs upon the truth, we will go down to death. Speaking of the second death, because we become perdition. And there's sons of perdition. I don't think there's daughters of perdition, but I don't know. And there goes the fire truck. (laughs) I live right by... um, a major thoroughfare and uh, the fire department's about three, two or three miles down the road and they just drove by so we've already had one accident this morning in front not quite in front of the house but um, in our bar ditch on our property uh, somebody slid off because it's icy out there and they went into the ditch so anyway we will be beaten up with many stripes We must suffer the consequences of our guilt. And after we have gone through the depths of suffering and sorrow and in due time of the Lord, we may get some kind of salvation and glory. But where God and Christ are, we cannot come worlds without end. And that's in the resurrection. And that's according to Charles W. Penrose, who was a member of the first, well, let me think. I think he was a member of the first presidency during the the life uh, the tenure of Joseph F. Smith, and I could tell you stories about that man. But anyway, Charles W. Penrose, Journal of Discourses, Volume 21, page 90, and we're on page 146 at 49%. Without complying with these requirements. You nor I can never go where God and Christ dwell, worlds without end. For these things have been made known to us by ancient and modern prophets. And that's according to Wilfred Woodruff, Journal of Discourses, volume 19, page 362. But, but Wilfred Woodruff also was like, I don't know, like everybody keeps on asking me who they should be sealed to, and I don't know, and... Everybody asks me um, who Adam is and who Jehovah is and who Jesus Christ is, and I don't know. Like, he, of course, he studied the scriptures, but, but we have to remember that he was the leader of a church which had been rejected and was in a state of condemnation from 1832 all the way till the present day and rejected, which Jesus said um, would happen in 1841. He said, you know, if you don't do these things, you'll be rejected as a church with your dead. And by 1843, we have Lyman White recording Joseph Smith saying that the church is in a state of rejection and has fallen. Now, the Burgamites don't want you to know that. Because they want you to think that Brigham Young is the Lord's anointed and he was the 
the rightful successor. But let's just go over this real quick. Tangent, this is going to be a really short program if I just read. So I'm going to add some stuff for for, for your consideration. In the 1841 Revelation, which became section 124, Jesus tells Joseph Smith to build a house unto his name for the Most High to come dwell therein. Speaking of a third person, who's the Most High? Jesus is saying, you have to build this in my name, this temple in my name, for the Most High to come dwell therein. That he, Jesus is speaking, that he the Most High can come dwell therein that he might restore that which was lost unto you or that which was taken away, even the fullness of the priesthood. If you want to know where I'm reading this from, and I'm, I'm mem- I've got it memorized. Doctrine and Covenants, section 124, verses 27 and 28, and continuing on to like somewhere around verse 50, it's talking about what needs to happen, what is going to happen if they are obedient and what is going to happen if they are not obedient. And around verse 35, Jesus says, and if you do not do these things, you will be rejected as a church with your dead. Well, what things were they were they told to do? Build a temple whereby the Most High, meaning the Father, can come dwell therein that he might restore that which was lost unto you or that which was taken away even the fullness of the priesthood. Brigham Young claimed that he received the fullness of the priesthood in the red brick store and that Joseph Smith gave it to him. Yet at that time, the the Nauvoo Temple wasn't even close to being finished. The father never came to restore the fullness of the priesthood in the red brick store because he said that it must be in the temple. Jesus said it must be in the temple by the father himself. And the fullness of the priesthood, some have said that this is the Melchizedek priesthood. It is not. It's the fullness of the Melchizedek priesthood. There are different levels of of Melchizedek priesthood. You have to have the Melchizedek priesthood given to you by the laying on of hands to even come into the physical presence of the Father. He can appear in a vision to you, but you're not in his physical presence. You cannot come into the presence of the Father for him to give you anything if you do not have the Melchizedek priesthood. That goes for women as well. There is patriarchal and matriarchal priesthood which was restored and has been restored again on the earth, which the church rejects. Because they're in a state of apostasy. 
but the Father must come dwell therein, that he might restore that which was lost unto you or that which was taken away, even the fullness of the Melchizedek priesthood, which only he can give. If you haven't had it from him, you do not have it. No angel or man can confer that level of priesthood upon you. It is for the Father to give alone. That's why the Nauvoo Temple had to be built. That's why Jesus said, if you do not do these things, building this temple for the Father to come dwell therein, you will be rejected as a church with your dead. And when Brigham Young said that he got the fullness of the priesthood in the red brick store, it contradicts Doctrine and Covenants section 124 or the revelation given January 18, 1841. Brigham was a liar. He was not the Lord's anointed. Lyman White recorded Joseph Smith in 1843 talking about how they had, because of their sloth and disobedience, been rejected as a church with their dead, which Jesus Christ himself said would happen if they were disobedient. Jesus said, if you're obedient, I will fight your battles for you and you shall not be removed from your place. Speaking of Nauvoo, Illinois, but they were removed from their place. The cursing of God. He said that if, if instead of blessings, you'll receive curse, cursings, wrath, indignation, these type of things. And all they who hinder this work, speaking of the saints, will be cursed to the third and fourth generation. They were using the wood which was cut and consecrated and dedicated in Wisconsin that they sent down the Mississippi for the building of the temple to build Masonic lodges, to build the second wing of Brigham Young's mansion which is weird because in the scriptures we're told it is not given for one man to own that which is above another, wherefore the whole world lieth in sin. But he's working on the second wing of his mansion. And if you will be a Zion people, you must be equal in all things. But he's working on the second wing of his mansion while people are living in clay huts in sod buildings. He's building the second wing of his mansion, excuse me, that is hindering the work of God because they should have been building the temple with the wood coming down, which was cut in Wisconsin, which was shipped down the Mississippi River to Nauvoo, which wood was for building the temple, not Masonic lodges, not mansions, and certainly not the second wing of your mansion, Mr. Brigham Young. The church has done a good job at whitewashing history. And Jesus Christ said, all they who hinder this work will be cursed to the third and fourth generation. Well, Moses walking around in the wilderness for one generation was 40 
years. Four generations is 160 years. So every president of the church who has proclaimed themselves to be the leader of the one and only true church, the prophet, seer, and revelator for 160 years has lied to you. Unless there was a reformation in the restoration, they do not have it now. And they haven't had it since Joseph Smith. Because Brigham Young did not get those keys in the red brick store because the father never came to give them to Joseph Smith. And one man, I've been given the fullness of the priesthood under the hand, the physical hand of the father upon Mount Vashel in the temple of the father. I have the fullness of the priesthood. I have used it to control the elements and to heal the sick and to not quite raise the dead. But there was a woman who was almost dead, who when I commanded her to be whole and I said, Amen, she breathed again. But I can't give you that priesthood. A tabernacle must be built, and it will be built in the wilderness, according to Isaiah chapter 35 and other places. Isaiah talks about the remnant and how the, the remnant and Zion will be born in the desert places in the wilderness. And that temple that needs to be built, it will be a tabernacle in the wilderness. And when we have been given the fullness of the priesthood by the Father, then we will be able to defeat the enemy that has taken over this land, which has not happened yet. I mean, there is an enemy here, but they'll be destroyed because God uses the wicked to destroy the wicked. Anyway, but continuing on, and we won't be doing that with bullets and guns, by the way. Like, there will be patriots that do those things, but we will be able to command the elements. And we will be able to chase 10,000 with just one or two. Anyway, continuing on, those in the telestial or terrestrial world have the privilege of beholding Jesus sometimes. They can receive the presence of the Son, but not the fullness of the Father. But those in the telestial world, still lower, receive only the Holy Ghost, or God the Witness, administered to them by messengers, ordained and sent forth to minister to them for glory and exaltation, provided they will obey the law that is given unto them, which law will be the telestial law, and that's Orson Pratt, Journal of Discourses, Volume 15, page 323. And I've often thought about this. Those who are in the celestial kingdom are only going to have the Holy Ghost. But who's in the celestial kingdom? All of the people that I like. I mean, I love the people on the other kingdoms too. But like, I think it's going to be a pretty awesome place to be. In fact, Joseph Smith talked about how if people knew what it was like to be there, they would kill themselves to get there. Now, I don't know if that's something that he said or not. I've heard it reported that he said that, but I believe it. In fact, the veil 
of forgetfulness is so, so much a blessing. Because as I have been in the presence of the Father, it makes it so much harder to be in this world. I just want to go home, but I can't. I cannot die until it's time. I have an appointment. I can't die by my own hand. I can't die by other people's hands. But I remember some things, but I know what it's like to be in the presence of the Father. Because I have been in his presence once in the flesh and many times in the spirit and many, many times in dreams and visions. And it makes this world a hard, hard ordeal when you know what it's like to be where he is. But I was thinking, like I said, you know, in the celestial kingdom, there's going to be all of these interesting people. The majority of the masses of this earth will be in the celestial kingdom. And I'm going to, I will be excited to get to meet them. But I will be excited to get to meet those in the celestial kingdom as well. Continuing on. In the celestial glory, there are three heavens or degrees. In the highest and in order to obtain the highest or exaltation, when a man must enter into this order of the priesthood, meaning the new and everlasting covenant of marriage. And if he does not, he cannot obtain it. Now, let me just say, the reason why this is important is because when we were intelligence, we were both masculine and feminine. And God revealed this to me. He showed me these things in a vision. He said, look, and I, I looked and there was orbs of light. And, and I looked at one specific orb of light that he told me to look at, and I saw a flash of light. And then there were two orbs of light. And he said, when the intelligence becomes self-aware, the masculine energies and the feminine energies separate, and you have the birth of a male and a female spirit. In its state where it is both male and female, it is eternal. But when it becomes a spirit, it loses the feminine and the masculine, depending on if you're a male or a female spirit. And in order to stop the aging process of the spirit, where it eventually will grow old and die, the masculine and the feminine must be sealed together by the Holy Spirit of promise. And then they must be sealed by the law of adoption to their savior and to their father. That's, these are processes. And this is actually much, it goes much deeper than I'm going to be able to reveal to you at this time. But when we are sealed, the man to the woman and the woman to the man, we are made whole again like we were when we were intelligence, when we were both masculine and feminine. Now you have two individuals now, not just one intelligence, but these individuals being sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise create a whole. The man cannot be without the woman. 
the woman cannot be without the man and the Lord. Now here's the problem. Because there are many more elect females in the war in heaven before before this earth, during the rebellion, there were many more females who were worthy to receive their exaltation but they needed to be sealed to a man and there are less men who are at the level of the female. Those females who are worthy to receive their exaltation must be sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise to the man. And the man and the woman must be sealed up to the father. But what do you do when there's more women than there are men and they have to have that sealing? That's why God allows plural celestial marriage. If there were more men than there were women, he would have polyandry be the thing, many women to one man. These sealings are important for the exaltation of women. Does the man benefit from it? Well, if you have a carnal mindset, you might think that he does. But anybody with a spiritual mindset who is not interested in just the the flesh might not think so. I don't know. Like myself, I love my wife and I am not interested in plural marriage unless God commands me and commands my wife and commands the individual who is going to come into my family. If all if God reveals this to all of us, then we have free agency to consider it and I will consider it. But I have a chemistry with my wife that is pure and good. It's so good. And adding another component or another individual into it, I am not interested in at all in any way, shape, or form unless God reveals that I must take a certain wife and that my wife reveal as revealed by revelation the same thing and the individual who is coming into our family they must be revealed the same thing polygamy is not an abomination when it's done in revelation polygamy can be an abomination if it's done just willy-nilly like if you're running around trying to find wives because you have a carnal mindset and you want whatever you want that's where the abomination comes in because you have to live it by revelation or you don't live it. You're not qualified to live it unless God reveals that you are qualified and that these women that you're going to be with are also have also received revelation specifically with individuals that... Yes, we're going to enter into these covenants of plural celestial marriage. But once again, I don't want to be the judge. See, people who judge others for living how God asks them to live, 
are placing themselves in the position of God. See, he's the judge, you're not, neither am I. All I can say is what God has told me for me and reveal to you what God has revealed to me and maybe he'll reveal the same thing to you. But that's between you and God. That's why I don't mind if people don't accept my witness right away. Because that's between you and God. I know what God has revealed to me. I will share what God has revealed to me. But it's between you and God. I'm not worried about it. It's not It's not my place to worry about it. I kind of do uh, because I, I don't want to see people cursed. I don't want to see people suffer, but that's between you and God. Anyway, um, and if he does not, he cannot obtain it. He may enter into the other, but that is the end of his kingdom. He cannot have an increase. That's DNC section 131 verses 1 through 4. And that's true when you're in the resurrection. When you put off the resurrection, you go into a new probation. You gain a higher level of resurrection. This is how you progress. Therefore, when they are out of the world, they neither marry or are given in marriage, but are appointed angels in heaven, which angels are ministering servants to minister for those who are worthy of a far more and an exceeding and an eternal weight of glory. For these angels did not abide my law, therefore they cannot be enlarged, but remain separately and singly without exaltation in their saved condition to all eternity and from henceforth they are not gods but are the angels of God forever and ever Doctrine and Covenants section 132 verses 16 and 17 okay I gotta say something about that too in the resurrection you're damned you put off the resurrection you can gain a higher level of resurrection that's how you advance Number two, we know that Hiram Smith presented DNC section 132 to William Law, and he freaked out about it, and William Law, before the death of Joseph Smith, printed the Nauvoo Expositor and talked all about the polygamy and the horrible evil revelation that Joseph Smith Received and how he was a fallen prophet and all that. So we know that DNC section 132 existed before Joseph Smith died because Hiram presented it to William Law. And William Law and his wife and others saw this revelation, which they testified to in by affidavit in the Nauvoo Expositor. However, when William Law, many, many, many years later, saw the Doctrine and Covenants section 132 that Brigham Young had, it had many, many, many more pages of revelation. The one that he saw was only a, certain, a couple of pages long. The one that Brigham Young had was like 12 pages long or something to that effect. Brigham Young had added many things to the revelations. Brigham Young 
had taken multiple revelations and spliced them together to mean and say things that were not originally said or meant. And what Brigham Young didn't want when they were going over the ice in the uh, over the Mississippi out of Nauvoo, headed up to Iowa and, and all of that mess, there was a whole bunch of people crossing the ice in a wagon train. Brigham Young had a wagon completely filled up to the brim, overweight, filled with documents that he did not want to be part of anything going forward. And he had the driver drive it over the ice where the rest of the people were not. And it fell through the ice and was lost to history. Brigham Young was a usurper and an accuser. He was not the Lord's anointed or a prophet seer or revelator. He led a rejected church in the wilderness of their affliction. See, Jesus said, if you do what I say, I will fight your battles for you and you shall not be removed from your place. But they were. He said, instead of blessings, you'll receive cursings and wrath and indignation. And they were. They received a great deal of death because of their actions. Both in Nauvoo and in the Trek West, the cursings were multiplied upon them. And you can read church history and you can see it. But one thing's for sure. Jesus said, if you do what I say, I will fight your battles for you and you shall not be removed from your place. But what happened? He didn't fight their battles for them and they were not protected and they did not stay where God had them. They were removed from their place. The status of people after death and resurrection is of a permanent and eternal nature, not one that allows for a continual rotation through many mortal births and deaths. Reincarnationalists have interpreted certain scriptures in unique ways in order to support some of their beliefs, such as, we're on page 147, but here's the quote, All they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Matthew chapter 26, verse 52. They say that this means that anyone who has killed with the sword but later dies a natural death must come back into mortality until he himself is killed with the sword. Okay, first of all, Scripture is not for private interpretation. The The interpretation belongs to God. And in order to get the interpretation, you must get it from him. It is not given for... uh, No, let me think. If you lack wisdom, James chapter 1 verse 5. If you lack wisdom, ask God and he will give it to you. Well, he gives it to you through inspiration and revelation and confirmation of the Holy Spirit. You have to get your interpretation from God, not from man. You have to get the confirmation of the Spirit from God, not from man. 
Continuing on, and another, whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. Genesis chapter 9, verse 6. Again, they say that those who shed someone's blood then and then die a, a normal death must continue to be born into mortality until they finally have their own bloodshed. Reincarnationalists believe that karma is an equal recompense for all deeds done in the body. That means that justice is absolute and that all evil deeds must be repaid by suffering the same evil we inflict upon others. If a man kills two people, one by the sword and another by shooting, then he must experience and suffer both types of death, the same as they did. If a man kills many people by dropping a bomb on a city, he must be through. Uh, he must go through ten thousand deaths. And if a man kills an animal, he must become the animal and suffer the same experience. Of course, this is all false doctrine, but. But certainly a believer in the gospel of Jesus Christ can see the fallacy of this arrangement. Justice may require a punishment equal to the crime, but not necessarily identical to it. So that's the end of this chapter. We're on page, we'll be on page 148 when we come back and that's chapter 18 and that's points to ponder now if you don't want to wait for this podcast to come out the next one chapter 18 points to ponder you can go to the link in the description of this podcast if you're on itunes it'll be zion's redemption radio network that'll be the podcast if you're on blog talk radio It'll be .com forward slash fundamentally Mormon. But either way, in the description of this podcast, you're going to find a link to this chapter. You're going to find a link to this book. And you're going to find a link to all of his books. So you can go on and read for yourself points to ponder or whatever you choose to read. There are many good books. My favorite, my three favorite. My first favorite is Mysteries of Creation. I love, love, love that book. My second favorite is Michael Adams, speaking of the Adam God Doctrine. And my third favorite is 95 Thesis, where it goes over 95 parts of the Restoration, which have been changed, diluted, forgotten, or ignored. And I recommend everybody read those books. So thank you for listening to the program for today. And uh, it'll be next week before I come back and do three, hopefully three more. And like I said, when I come back, we'll be on chapter 18, points to ponder, page 148. Thank you for listening to the program. Take care, everyone. And may God and his spirit be with you till we meet again. Goodbye.